This is Werewolf the Podcast, a podcast about the role-playing game, Werewolf the Apocalypse. Have you heard of high-level games? If you're a content creator looking to make your dream a reality, you need high-level games. High-level games does layout, editing, and development support such as Kickstarter and more. Even if you're not a creator and just want to enhance your game with exciting new supplements, go to highlevelgames.ca and check out Dark New England for V20. High-level games. We want to help you level up your role-playing game. Highlevelgames.ca Welcome to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Josh Heath, and we are joined by the legendary Carrie today. Carrie, how are you? I'm good. Apparently, I'm very legendary. You are very legendary. Super legendary. At least in my own mind. (laughs) If you can't be a legend in your own mind, where can you be a legend? Maybe on on a roll podcast, but besides that... (laughs) Awesome. Um, so today we are reviewing the Almighty Korax book. Yes. Woo. This is a book that was written in, or I should say, in, published in 1998 and written by Richard Dansky, developed by Ethan Skemp, edited by Gary Koff. The art is done by Jason Felix, Anthony Hightower, Brian LeBlanc, blank LeBlanc, Brian LeBlanc. Um, Steve Prescott, and the comic book art by Andrew Bates, with the coloring and lettering by Matt Milberger. What are your general thoughts about the Korax book, Carrie? Well, in general, it was okay. <laughs> it was uh, it, it had some of the flaws that I remembered. You know, when I reread it, I was like, oh, that's that really bothered me. I remember. And I also, though, there were a couple things that I went, oh, I forgot. That was kind of neat. Mm-hmm. I I agree. This is a generally good book with some f- interesting flaws, some strange flaws in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do we want to start at the beginning with the cover and the comic book, as usual? I think that is a good place to start. Fantastic. I love the coloring of the cover. This, like, light purple velvet-y thing. Um, uh, that's not velvet. What do you call it? Um, it's a flower, a purple flower thing that smells really nice. Lilac. Very nice <laughs> lilac color. I don't know about your feelings about it, but I actually like the color scheme, even though it doesn't really seem to go with a Corax at all. I thought maybe they were trying to get that iridescent color that, like, the... Like, you know, sometimes you see uh, raven feathers have, like, a little bit of purple or that... Oh, that shimmery that, thing, yeah. That aqua. Um, I don't think they quite grab, grabbed it, though. Mm. Like, I think they... But I think that it just needed to have some more dark on it. There was too much white on the cover. For me, anyway. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. And, and as always, it really bothers me that they're using the Guru Glyph for Korax. Right. The Korax it, have their own. Right, yeah. And, you know, like, for, for me anyway, if they're going to use the Guru Glyph on the cover, it should all be from a Guru point of view then. Yeah. But that's an issue that I have with all of the books. No. 
is that I feel like they bounce around their point of view so much that it's really hard to have it flow and connect as a book of series Mm. or series of books, I should say. Yeah. No, that makes uh, that that is very sensible. If you're going to do it from the Garrow perspective, do it from the Garrow perspective. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> I both like and really dislike this comic. My reasons for liking it are it's a very <laughs> good comic story. My reasons for disliking it, it's not a very good example of playing this game. Because right. you have one character. Yes. And they don't interact with any other Korax, or they maybe sort of do here and there. So it's weird. Like, I like it as a story, but I'm like, I can't do anything with this as a leaping off point for running uh, an RPG. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's very much a one-on-one adventure. Yeah. Which is fine, um, and you can do those, but it's less common. Yeah. Um, although I would assume it might be more common if you were a Korax, maybe. True, because they're supposed to be individualized or whatever. Right. Um, again, I feel like the major issue with this comic book is that they got an artist that was not a sequential artist. Yep. Um. Yep. And so to me, it feels a little rushed. It feels like I like this guy's artwork. Mm-hmm. I've seen his artwork. You know, we've seen his artwork before. And um, like this just feels like very, gosh, I don't want to say sophomore because that's not quite right. But it, it's like he's making a, a lot of these panels feel very textbook Mm -hmm. like if i show an overshot then you can see the feather going through his chest Ooh, and i'm like oh come on you know no i i don't know i i i the story was fine individual artwork from this guy is fine sequential artwork not so much yeah from a weird art critique standpoint I don't know how her shirt is staying in her pants. Yeah, no. I think it might just be painted on. <laughs> yeah, it I, definitely has that know, feel to it. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, for me, like, when I notice things like that, it takes me out of the story. I think the story is really good. The content here is actually interesting. It tells you lots of things about the world of darkness and a little bit about the Korax, but there are weird little things that make me kind of go, uh, and interestingly, it's an in-world comic. Like it, they have their own like comic brand and issue information and things like that. It's like, were you planning on do this, doing this as a series of comics? Cause that would have been cool. Well, it would, yeah, I, um, it, it, I will say this. It did remind me a little bit of action bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very similar. Like the, 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 the way the Fomori acted and all that, it felt almost like it, it did feel like a, a comic book villain. Ha ha. I have tricked you. You and you're like, what are you doing? So maybe, maybe they were thinking of doing a comic book series. I don't know. It would have been interesting. And it's weird. This it Fomori, wouldn't have worked. Right. 
Uh, no. Yeah, but it would have been interesting to see what they would have tried to do. Yeah, and for folks that don't know, Werewolf Comics, White Wolf did um, a bunch of White Wolf comic things with um, Bad Moon Press, I think was the company. Mm -hmm. Bad Moon something. And it um, they did not sell well. They were not well received, and uh, they well, didn't they continue all, for very long. They were all one-shots, though, right? I don't think they were intended to be initially. I think they were like, okay. hey, we're going to like release some one-shots and see how they do. Mm, and then okay. do like maybe a series off of one of them. Because at least the Calabros vampire one seemed like it could become a bigger story. Yeah, like I, I only remember reading like the Fiana one. And I think the Silverfang one. But like I just felt like if they were going to do that, they should have, instead of dividing them. Just give us a path to follow. Because yep. nobody nobody was playing an all Fianna game. Right. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Of course, now we're going to have one person who's like, I was. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah anyway. It, it would have been better to say, hey, let's do an actual story of a pack that people would mm -hmm. play as. And show what we think the experience of playing this game is like. Then it would have been a good tie-in. Right. Good call. So this book is interesting in that what I really like, I'm going to move right into in the introduction in chapter one. So jumping into the introduction and chapter one, there's something interesting that they do here in that the Koraks are the first changing breed to be like, we don't know what happened at the beginning. We're not going to give you any bullshit story. We're just going to say we don't know, and we're going to talk about things we do know, because why speculate? Yeah, no, I actually really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. um, it, the tone of this entire book I enjoyed. Yeah. Because it wasn't so flowery that I felt like I had to read four paragraphs to get one line of, like, one bit of information. Mm -hmm. So that and was nice. I think Rich Dansky does a good job of writing in character without making it feel like he's overdoing it. Like it's mm -hmm. just enough of a character that I feel like I'm actually getting useful information as a gamer, but mm -hmm. I'm, but I feel like, Hey, someone is telling me this story. Right. Which is a hard ass balance to find. And you don't mm -hmm. see it too often in white wolf books. Um, that said, the, interesting thing to me in the history chapter is that one they blame the weaver thank you Korax yeah. uh, they blame the weaver for everything that's wrong and I think that's right and then they have the this origin story or these origin stories of how they came to be and the story of how Raven uh, got turned black I believe is a Native American story um I could be wrong about that, but I think it is. But then there's very little Native American connection in the rest of this book. Mm -hmm. it, it's an odd sort of thing. Well, they they mention Native American Koraks, and what I did I did appreciate is they were like, um, of course there were Koraks over there, you know, over in North, you know, in in the Americas beforehand. Mm -hmm. Don't be dumb. And we knew about them and they knew about us. But then, then they kind of were like, you know, just that's it. We're good. 
yeah. and they mention that there's differences, but they don't really tell you what the differences are. Mm-hmm. It, I'm on like, and I'm on the fence. So I was talking to James Sombrano last night, um, dating this recording when uh, on the last recording that probably will get released before this, or maybe after this, <laughs> who knows? Um, I was talking to him I'm about, fluid. right. Ta- what is time? Um, this is not a mage game, but anyway, um, yeah. he and I were talking about native American representation in werewolf in particular. And mm-hmm. ah, I am always on this weird fence. Do I want these people that don't know anything about cultures writing about them? And, in almost in some ways, I like that they didn't do that here. But then I'm like, but Raven is huge, hugely important. So and it's representation is so important. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this stressful dichotomy I find myself in where I'm like, <laughs> I want to see this, but I don't want to see it done badly. So yeah, it's interesting. They focus much more on the English, Celtic, and Scandinavian raven myths yeah which uh, i think they do a good job of actually like the connections with odin i think are good as someone that cares about that um and the connections with the morrigan and things like that i think are interesting the connections with uh, the tower of london and bran they're good they make sense they fit and it's not over the top right yeah any other thoughts from your end? Because I'm kind of like, this is good. Like from as a oh. history chapter, I think it does what it needs to do well. So the um, I, I really dug the the Tower of London stuff. Um, I think that uh, especially since that is still happening, mm-hmm. you know. So it feels like we're not digging so far into the past that it's um disrespectful mm-hmm. um i i did i did dig that um the thing that made me laugh in this chapter though really hard was in the cre- they do have a little part where they talk about the origins and the creation um and especially how the the weaver trap or the weaver trapped the worm mm-hmm. and they kept talking about about how um, Raven told them to have, use safe words. Yeah. And the more I started thinking about it, the more I started laughing because I was like, what the hell would be the safe words? Right. That these intercosmic beings might use. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it just like that, that like I kept going back to that thinking, I want to know what that was. And like, did Raven know the words? And is Raven like, oh man, their their safe word was polar bear. Oh no, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> or weirder. You know? What if the safe word is like a prophecy sort of thing? Which right, right. Is yeah, kind like, of oh, creepy. No. Hmm. Or what if it was Raven? Oh no, <laughs> right. Raven's well, like totally embarrassed. We can't let anyone know the story. There's a lot of like BDSM slash sex references in that bit and um, yeah it's not over the top but it does make you kind of go hmm what what were you thinking about rich yeah well or like to me it it actually says a lot more about raven mm-hmm. than anything else like like i'm gonna tell this story so irreverently 
so ridiculously to this new person who has no idea what's going on. Right. Like, like do I take this seriously as this newbie or do it's I? Like, it's almost like he's going, maybe this is all bullshit. Maybe there isn't no. Oh, it almost felt like he was trying to make them believe that there wasn't a Weaver Wild and Worm. Right. Which might be what they're going for. Right. But there's nowhere else in the book that implies that that, you know, maybe the Korax think everyone's full of poop about that. So it would be interesting if they did, because that would be it would be neat to see a changing breed be like our whole cosmology is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Because like, someone for would. real. Have any of you ever met the Weaver, the Wild or the Worm? Come right. On. We just see these places in the Umbra and we think they're related to these things. Yeah. It, who we, knows? We, we could be making it up. You did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it'd be cool. There's also a good connection to Greece in here, which uh, there's a lot of hooks here if you want to find tribal relationships for the Korax to have with the Garu. Yeah. You know, they have relationships with pretty much all of the tribes, except for the Glasswalkers, who they seem to hate, which I don't understand. That- Especially since they're in this book, they talk about being on computers all the time. Yeah. like Through the so whole why... book, they, they talk about, you know, emailing and, and doing all their cyber uh, rumor stuff. And then they're like, no Corex. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, you know, no Glasswalkers. You know, and you're like, what? Right. It's kind of a weird thing. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm with them being like high tech and interested in the internet and all of that. That makes sense. But then why would they have an issue? I guess maybe it's an issue with the Weaver because they blame the Weaver for everything. But it's unclear why that's why that animosity is as strong as it is. One of the weird things about the Korax, the Korax as a species as a changing breed have three forms unlike the other changers which have five and they're connected to helios the sun as opposed to luna so they're they have less forms which they only generally change into two of them but we get to see some cool um art for the hybrid slash crinos form of the (laughs) ravens in here and i don't think all of it looks bad i think some of it actually looks pretty cool even if they do look like weird, like pterodactyl men. Um, but the other like interesting, weird, cool thing about them is they're eating eyes. And that's a theme throughout the book where it's like, we eat eyes. And the reason we eat eyes is because of this memory thing yeah. that we get to use. These like thoughts we get to steal from using it. Any other thoughts on those random things that I was just like, hey, these are thoughts that I have that are random. All over the place. Um, I actually, for, for me, the, 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 the mid form, the crinos form mm-hmm. that they have, um, it does look weird to me. Like even yeah. when it, in all of the drawings and all that, but I think part of it is because it falls way closer to Hamid than Raven. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, it just looks like somebody dressed up as a bird furry. Oh, yeah. You're not wrong. And, and so, like, I'm always like, oh, no, look out. It's a bird furry coming to get you. What are anyway, your, what are your thoughts about like furries. them? Yes, they look like Big Bird. Um, yeah. Angry Big Bird. 
Except for, you know, Big Bird's cooler looking than they are. <laughs> yeah, you're not totally wrong. So I'm Insane. in... I'm flipping... Go on. I'm flipping into chapter two, and chapter one's about their history. Chapter two is about how they exist in the world of darkness, right? What Clorax yeah. do, how they do it, how they hang out with each other, how they interact, how they create their spirit eggs that they attach to uh, children, which I think is a really interesting but also really weird thing. Corax aren't bred like other Farah, they're created through this specific rite. Yeah. I think that's neat, but I also, uh, like, I kind of don't understand why. Like, I think there's a story they're referencing here, but it's unclear exactly what it is. Yeah, I, there, there's a lot of stuff in this book that, that even the Koraks are like, well, Helios didn't want us to get too uppity. Gaia didn't want us to get too uppity. You know, like, so it feels like they've got all these restrictions put on them. But, like, it's almost, like, especially, like, their numbers. They don't don't, don't mm-hmm. make sense to me. Like, you know, they're like, there's only so many of us. If you can make these spirit eggs, and I know it, it costs three permanent gnosis to do, and it's a big deal. But like the 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 cap the restriction put on is that Hamid Korax can only make Raven Korax mm-hmm. and and Raven Korax can only make Hamid Korax and they don't want to become unbalanced. No, this is the end times. Who cares if there's more Raven Korax than than Hamid Korax? Right. Like that. Just the Korax seem too smart. To have that restriction put on them. A yeah. self-restriction. Yeah. And weirdly enough, they're, they talk about like pushing boundaries and fighting against rules. But then they're like, no, these are a rule. This is a rule. We're going to yeah. follow it. Nope, nope. Yeah, it yeah. was very strange. Like that 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 didn't hold water for me. Mm-hmm. And they're interesting as a warrior group. Because it's like if you the warrior scout thing. Like you're right. Again, if you want more of your species, you literally just have to make them. It's mm-hmm. like the easiest it hard in that it takes a long time for the egg to hatch, but right. compared to some of the other Farah, the easiest like way of making more of you. Right. Or let's say I'm an old Corax. Mm-hmm. I know I've only got a year left. Why wouldn't I dump all of my gnosis and make three eggs mm-hmm. and just make a clutch of them and give it to somebody else to take care of. Cause that's also what it sounds like. You don't take care of your own eggs. Yeah. Well, that's a bird thing, but not a Raven thing. So I don't know why birds they made it. Uh, birds are weird. Yes. They're, They're evolved little... dinosaurs. Which yeah. Is... Creepy. <laughs> I get to hear about that all the time. I'm sure. And on that note, why are the Corax and the Mowgli not closer? So, interestingly enough, I think that's a research reason. At the time, in the late 90s, it wasn't as clear that birds were related to dinosaurs as we know now. Like, the Mm -hmm. beginnings of that research was starting, but it wasn't, like, cemented. Like, yeah, birds are actually dinosaurs. So, I think the authors didn't know that to make those linkages. 
I would call bullshit because anyone looking at a bird's foot can tell it used to be a dinosaur. Yeah. No, I I am with you. I'm only giving them a possible out for the reason because they do eventually connect them really closely to one another where even some Koraks can have Nisus, which is the memory power of mm. the Macaulay. Okay. When, in the Changing Breeds 20th anniversary book, at least. All right. I'll give them that then. <laughs> So someone more recently was like, science says, and they're like, we're going to create a reason for this to happen. (laughs) Okay, science. Let's see. Um, I did like that. Oh, wait, no, I need to go forward. I was going backward in the book. Mm -hmm. That's not good. Um, Sorry, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. Um... You know, they've got their own set of laws, mm-hmm. which were kind of like, eh, okay, whatever. Like, Yeah, their nothing... litany doesn't fill me with joy. But but it didn't fill me with dread. It was just there. Yeah. You know, it was all kind of common sense stuff. Like, hey, don't lie to each other. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> Watch everything. Fly. Yeah, fly. Yeah, that one cracked me up because I was just like, well, yeah, if I had wings, I'd fly too. Right. Who wouldn't? If you could fly, wouldn't you jump up in the air and be like, I'm going to fly around? Um, My issue here in this section is the camps. While I always have an issue with camps, I have a different issue with the camps here than I usually do. These (laughs) These camps are all European or European American based camps. And while that's not terrible, it again, these are uh, species that supposedly are everywhere. We know they're in Asia in the Henge Yokai book. We know they have Native American relationships. We know that they're in Africa. We know that they're in Europe and like the Middle East. It's okay to give me at least a little bit of something where you're like, hey, this is a camp. I can deal with two paragraphs or three paragraphs that aren't perfect. If they're at least acknowledging, like, this is a, a a global society of ravens. My issue with the camps is none of them made any sense. Fair. None of them were actual camps. One camp is has only got three people in it. Another camp, I think when I read it, there's only one in it. And then, like, the other one is, like... We're, we're fledglings. Like, it's not even a camp. It's just like, we like to hang out with other Koraks. You know, okay, fine. And the other one is just, I mean, their their names are Murder's Daughters. Yeah. They're just Bruja. <laughs> They're Birdie Bruja. They're Birdie Bruja. That's it. Like, there, there, there was nothing in any of these camps that I would allow in my game. Yeah, there's nothing in there that I go, this is a cool camp that I want to be affiliated with and jump off a story idea from. It's just, this is a camp that exists? Yeah, okay. Well, it felt like they went, oh, crap, the rest of them have camps. Uh... (laughs) Right. So we need to have some. World of Darkness has to be cookie cutter, you know. No. Yeah. No, it's okay to say, nope, Koraks don't have camps. Yeah. Well, like. They did that with so many other things in the Korax book. You know, they only have the three breeds. They, you know, like they're, they're, uh, you know, they don't have an auspice. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so they, they chucked a bunch of stuff out the window. Why didn't they just chuck these out the window too? Yeah. No one would have minded. Yeah. No, no one is going, but I really want to play a murder's daughter. Right. No, you're right. Even like the Morrigan, like there's nothing in here that makes me go, I want to play one of them, the Morrigan in this. Because there's only three of them and they name all three of them. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. So, hey, here are some NPCs that are at camp. Yeah. You can't look at them. No, (laughs) that's right. I even if they had just changed the name of camps to murders, I would have felt a little better. Well, that would have been cool. That would have made a lot more sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That and, said, and I think chapter two like has lots of things like that where it's like, uh, idea, but it not like it doesn't either fit thematically or it fits thematically, and it's kind of like, okay, cool. Like birds doing bird things. Yeah. And then chapter three is about the Korax everywhere in the world, at least the start of it. But again, we don't have we don't have camps or much information on what the Korax are like in these places. We just have this, these are these places. Yeah, and they basically go, yep, there's ravens here. Yep. Yeah, well, we knew yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> and All again, right. it's... It's not bad. It's like one of those things where it's like it's either too much or too little, and this is just Meh. too little. Yeah. Mm. There is a sidebar here about Native American ravens, but it's about the myths of raven and coyote, and it's not yeah. about I'm a Korax from um, the Ojibwe Nation, or I'm a Korax from this particular group of native peoples, which I would have wanted some more, like this is how the Diné like have Korax and what Mm -hmm. that Korax or those couple of Korax, maybe how they interact and feel about their culture. I want something about those things. I was actually really surprised that there wasn't a sidebar, a sidebar talking about the physical differences between Ravens in Europe versus North America versus because there's right. got to be. Oh, yeah, I don't there are. know what that is. Mm-hmm. I need White Wolf to tell me what that is because yeah. I'm too lazy to Google. And um, you know, like because I'm sure there's got to be a size difference or mm-hmm. even just like habit. Like yep. some of them probably have different habits or something. Like that would have been interesting. Yep. And adding weirdness, um, this is the only Korax book we have, but Korax are brought into other books in lots of different ways. Eventually, the Korax can be any corvid. Meaning they can be magpies, crows, or ravens. And while I think that's fine, and I could even be a blue jay, because blue jays are corvids, um, one of my... I totally want to play a blue jay at some point and just be like, I'm a fucking blue jay! Um, (laughs) But it's... It adds some, like, I need to know more about birds. Like, I know a lot about birds, but maybe give me something about how, like, being these different types of birds interact with being a Korax. It would be, it would be helpful. I'm with you there. Yeah. Then we get into their feelings about the tribes and the other um, pharah. And the weirdest piece of art in this book to me, like, there's weird ass art in here to begin with but 
this Frankenstein werewolf thing. So that I think is connect. I don't. Okay. I, I, I noted that mm-hmm. because I actually noted what it's referring to. I think oh, okay. before I noticed the picture in the, in the shadow Lord section, they okay. talk about shadow Lords breeding better bone nars. Oh, weird. What the hell is that about? And that's all they say. I think that's a cool story hook, but again, like, please give me more on that. Like, right. Because that makes the shadow Lords go from like, I'm, I'm tricking you all for the better of Gaia to being like monsters. Right. And well, Hey, we're the next black spiral dancers pretty much. Right. Cause you know, like bonars aren't going to be bred to be better unless they're, you know, forced to. Or tied up in Frankenstein or whatever that picture. Yeah. I'm assuming yeah. that's what that picture's. Because even, like, the dude at the bottom of the corner, like, the, the scientist-looking guy, he he looks like a Shadow Lord. Yeah. I won't disagree with you there. That adds even more questions I have to this <laughs> art. Because, on like, just as the splat of this, I'm like... Okay, maybe yeah. this is cool. This is really weird. Like, I need a story here. Like, I actually want, like, two or three paragraphs of what the heck's happening here. Right, exactly. Like, I would love to know what notes they gave the artist. Right. We need a picture this size. We need this many figures. Oh, and they've got a bonar strapped to a table. <laughs> like, what? Right. And then there's another even weird, like, I, I think the Frankenstein Garu is the weirdest, but the next page has a Korax being attacked by a Bastet with a ridiculously cartoony uh, exclamation mark over the Korax's <laughs> head. I, okay, I'm going to admit, I didn't notice that because I had just glossed it over assuming it was a feather. That's when I first looked at it. That's what I thought it was, too. And then I resumed. Oh, no, that's an exclamation mark. Yeah, that's terrible. Oh, Mm -hmm. my gosh. I like that they have some actual information about all the different Farah, even the Naga. They seem to know what the Naga did in the past, but they don't quite believe that they're dead. They're like, "Mm, we're pretty sure the Naga are still out there. But we're not going to poke. Right. Yeah. Right. Here's the only thing that I think is weird. Earlier on in the book, they say that the Koraks are the youngest of the changing breeds. They claim to be the youngest of the changing breeds, but then they know the Kitsune exist. Yeah. So how does that tie in? Because we know for a fact that the Kitsune are the youngest changing breed. Right. And it's this weird, like, almost like there's a fight about who's the youngest brother, which is weird. Yeah, that seems a weird fight to have, but... Yeah, normally in these books, it's about, we're older than everybody else. No better. We can tell because we're sharks, or we can tell because we're dinosaurs, or whatever. (laughs) You're a blue jay! What? (laughs) Then, this, the next section's about other creatures, and about about abominations in particular. What's interesting in this is this is not as clear 
as it is in other books where it's like the Korax immediately goes up in flames and like kills everybody. This kind of says like it takes a while, like it takes a night or so before they burn up in flames and kill their sire, maybe, or themselves and everything else around. But I mean, it does say it, it ends poorly. Right. It, so it, it kind of implies this is not a playable thing. This mm-hmm. is an end to a character. So here's my problem with this sidebar. Mm-hmm. It is a really deep dive into White Wolf lore. So I'll try to make it brief. But in Wolves of the Sea, which is a Dark Ages vampire book, they decided that Odin was a vampire which, whatever, I have some issues with, but I actually follow their logic in Wolves of the Sea for why that is. Okay. And then in this book, they mention that Odin gave his two ravens immortality. Right. So my thought is that it actually loops in, and then they go and run and hide from all the other ravens. I think, potentially, those ravens were actually embraced and the reason they are hiding from all the other Koraks is not because they're going to come back and be heroes at some point, but because they're some sort of abomination. And they offer like a challenge to the Koraks. Like, hey, not all of you have Helios's blessing. Some of you could get really messed up if you hang out with the wrong people. Hmm. I know that's a really weird like dig in to well, like create that theory but sure okay let's 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 take that theory for a second and dissect it mm-hmm. what if he ghouled them instead yeah possible and that would take away the bursting into flames immediately as an abomination mm-hmm. um <clears throat> i don't remember i mean i did just read this so i should remember um because <clears throat> there are some ravens that don't have helios's blessing right and so maybe this whole like burst into flame abomination thing is just for those that have his blessing. So like the people that have the flaw, mm-hmm. maybe maybe they could potentially be abominations. Not that anyone would ever want to. No, I wouldn't ever make those a player character. No. But would I make that a interesting plot line with NPCs for players to be like, what the is going what on here? Do? Yeah. Yeah. I always, for me, abominations are so, like, I hate when people use abominations and they're like, I'm an evil abomination. <laughs> because, like, in every instance, they are so pitiful. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, almost every mention of them, they're like, they don't survive the night because they kill themselves. That's right. terrible. That's right. sad. Like, I've actually ran an abomination in my LARP where the players put it down because it asked them to. Yeah. And and it was this great emotional thing where they were like, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we can help it. And finally, they realized the only way to help this abomination was to put it down. Yeah. And I was Which, like, welcome to the world of darkness, baby. <laughs> <laughs> There's no <But> happy endings. <laughs> that That's really where the plot should usually go with Abominations. I agree with you. Um, I also love having 
villains that are like, you know what, I should be sad, but I don't care. Um, so sometimes they do go all in for the I'm a evil abomination that's been around for a thousand years. Yeah, no, and I mean, I get that, but I also think that if you do that too much, yeah, it becomes overwhelming. It, well, it, it, then they don't they don't care. Your players yeah. don't care about any of it. Then you know, like for me anyway your villain your bad guy should always be doing what they believe is right always mm-hmm. because as soon as they go i'm doing this for my daughter the players all go oh shit uh you know and then it, then it becomes a good story then it's not just go out and slay the dragon and save the princess yeah for sure and i think it would be interesting to have a story where you have two sides of the abomination coin as it were yes. like one newly turned like oh we have like this is bad like we have to deal with the situation and like all the emotive things and then you bring in another one that's like no i'm actually like a straight up villain but i'm gonna use your care and empathy against you yeah i think that could be done really really well if you present the first one first you just you gotta be careful because those fool jews Mm mm-hmm you know, a full G plot is it can be very fun, but you got to be careful because players get upset with those. Yeah, for sure. You know, so it's got to be just handled rightly, the mm-hmm. right way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely agreed. The next chapters, like the actual like character creation chapter, and about how you play a Korax. It doesn't give you much about how to play a bird, which is fine, but it does give you you know a bunch of new abilities, new. Um, rules and things like that traits form information totems they don't really have totems so it's just going to reference there i think this is a good chapter but i don't have anything that i'm like this is a thing i really am excited about in this chapter i just kind of think yeah these all make sense uh, except until we get to emu which is a terrible flaw and a terrible like i actually think it's a bad storytelling flaw but yeah well Okay. I thought it was really interesting that they had this, like, there are no lost fledglings. Mm-hmm. Um, because every time I've ever seen a Korax in play, they were a lost fledgling. Right. And I'm like, ugh, this is, I was like, that would make, th- no wonder, like, I have such, like, a knee-jerk reaction against the Korax. Because yeah. no one's playing them right, you know. Um but when- doesn't make sense about the no lost fledglings things is there are magpies which are the worm corrupted corax and those are usually done when they're still an egg is when Mm. they're corrupted by the worm so it's kind of doesn't make a lot of sense yeah uh i did what i did i didn't know that when a hatchling egg starts to hatch hatchling egg starts to hatch um that it's like a, a mini karen opening mm-hmm. i did think that was cool yeah um i don't besides the opposite for when a hive opens i've not seen i can't remember anywhere else in white wolf that a beacon like that goes out and i did think that was kind of neat yeah that is kind of neat and also like it's really dangerous for a corax <laughs> to be born because like hey cool big things happening in the umbra like, don't pay attention to us, please. I'm just a new Korax. It's, it adds some danger into a story. Like, you have a new character, and you're like, okay, now it's a chase plot, like, right away. Right. 
yeah, like, I don't know what I am, but I have to fly really fast away from all these scary things trying to kill me. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, there are some other big furry scary things, but they're willing to help me. Yeah. Go hang I out guess. with them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the I guess is the big thing. Like, where else would they go? Yeah. Except for the other Korax that knows they exist because it, like, was watching their eggs and has a, like, a spirit that comes and tells them, hey, your egg just hatched. That's the other weird thing, too, like, like, they just leave them somewhere in the Umbra, and they check on them every once in a while. Yeah. Like, the, we we have Bane tenders who give up their lives to sit on top of Banes. Right. The and Korax these birds can't, can't take three years to sit on a nest? Right. That, that's. Already mm. invested three permanent gnosis into hatching the damn thing you're like yeah. I, I wouldn't leave i'd be like this is my house like yeah, I'm, this yeah, is where know, i live order some takeout or you know like have it delivered whatever don't leave right you're like or even get a babysitter take it in turns <laughs> would the babysitter be another korax or would it be like i'm gonna enlist this garu pack to watch my baby i mean that's a good plot yeah it is actually a good plot because you know what then suddenly you <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, you've got a group pack who's basically running the Mandalorian <laughs> yes. with this egg. You know? Quite literally. Oh, geez. Then if the egg hatches. Right. Oh, yeah. Then mm. you've got Baby Yoda. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I'm on board um, with that. That is the next plot I'm going to run with the Korax right there. Like, I want to do that in a. <laughs> I want to do that in a LARP, yeah. and then but I want to get a little baby puppet to be the baby, and yeah. then like just make them carry it around. <laughs> that would be amazing, particularly if it's like uh, an actual like bird core, like a, a Corvid-born mm-hmm. Corax, and you're like, here's your bird. Because because I imagine because like do they like when when a, a Corvid hatches from the egg. It's a t- it attaches to an adult raven? I think so. Okay, because, like, now, because for a minute I was imagining, you know, because birds, when, they're, when they first hatch, are fugly. They have no feathers. They really do look like dinosaurs. Yeah. Like, and I'm like, just, ah! You know, like, <laughs> no! I mean, I want that to happen now. Yeah, right. Like, even if it's not the way it's written in the book, yeah, that's no. the plot. <laughs> <laughs> what do we do with this? I don't know. <laughs> do All you right. have any thoughts? Do you have any thoughts on the gifts or rights um, or any of that stuff in the book? Yes, I wrote down stuff. Give me just a second. I was super excited that they mentioned the Morse code gift mm-hmm. from the Wild West. Mm-hmm. Because I, I feel like maybe they were like, ooh, this is good. We got to keep it. Um. So that was fun. Um, I did like, <clears throat> I did like the, the when they talk about them all having hollow bones and light bones, they gave some actual mechanics for that. Like you know, it's you know easier to to dodge and all that, but if you get hit, you're literally knocked two feet backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and you you take more damage from crush i don't remember what the actual uh uh mechanics were but i like that they actually gave mechanics and it's not just 
you're skinny and light, you know, and don't weigh as much. Like there was yeah, some actual downsides. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I, I dig, I dig that a lot. Um, I thought it was really funny when they were talking about the, the abilities that they couldn't have, that they had to mention Kalindo. Right. They like, don't have like, Kalindo. No, even other guru, the only guru that should have that is Stargazers, but they were like, no, no Kalinda. Like, right. I can't imagine a Korax, especially in their uh, Krinos form. Right. I'm going to do, I'm going to crane form right now. Yeah, like, that's the only thing they could do. Right. But um, mostly because they talk about when they're in their, uh, their Krinos form that they have to, like, weave and bob because they're going to fall over because mm-hmm. they're so weirdly shaped. Mm-hmm. Like, I was just like, oh, no. Like that's that's terrible. Like why yeah. why do you you know? And then it's like they said no because someone tried to do it. Yep, exactly. Mm, what, what I really like though is they aren't given uh, numina. They aren't allowed to have hedge magic, and I'm like, no, I'm I'm so happy. Thank you. <laughs> you, I I saw that. And I was like, well, he, that that he's gonna give this like ten ten feathers because <laughs> there's no hedge magic in here. <laughs> Yay! No hedge magic. Um, I don't think it increases the rating of the book, actually. Okay, okay. But, but. <laughs> but it doesn't take away. Yeah. I do like the NPCs at the back of this book. Also, I know that's... Um, sometimes we talk about them, sometimes we don't. I think there's some good story hooks with these folks. Um, but interestingly enough, like at least two of them are Native American, and I'm like, again, you haven't actually given us much about the Native American Korax here, but... You've got these two figures. Uh, and interestingly, and this is something that James mentioned to me also, um, when they do talk about Korax talking about how they uh, they talk about a mare end, which is an uh, archaeologist term for American uh, Indians or Native Americans, mm-hmm. it's not a term anyone actually uses themselves. And yet this Korax uses it for themselves at one point, And it was like, that's really weird. Yeah, um, it's just a that weird like sort of segue. It's just weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's like calling um, yourself female or male in some ways. Like it's a really like scientific <laughs> term that is problematic. Like it's sorry. Awkward. Every time I hear anyone use the word female, I just I I, I they immediately become a Ferengi. Right. Exactly. And I like, just can't take it seriously because I'm. <laughs> yep. I'm with you. Um, I'd like to, can, can we go back to the back a few pages? I have have two things that I want to bring up. Goodness, I'm sorry. So on page 80, in the middle of the gift section, there's a giant drawing of a shark that makes no sense. Yeah. What's. And I think it's on fire. Well, so we know that the Korax, because we've seen this gift used three times in the in the book, they have mm-hmm. this weird, like, fire, flame, sun thing. Right. So I th- think that's what the Korax is doing, but why is he wearing scuba gear? <laughs> I, I I don't know. Is, is this yeah, a Fonzie this, situation? It, yeah, like, it's really bizarre. It, and, like, there's just random skulls flying around. Right. In the ocean. Because that's how skulls work in the ocean, right? Well, yeah, you know. Um, And and so, like, that that cracked me up. Because, you know, first of all, 
catching something on fire in the ocean just seems pointless. Like if you're trying to illustrate that gift, why would you use the ocean? Right. And if um, you're trying to connect them to the Rokea, like here's a Rokea plot. It, it's a weird place for it as well as a weird choice for art. Yeah. Yeah. Like the Rokea and the Korak seem like they would be the farthest from each other. Yeah. Air, water. Yeah. yeah. Neither the twain shall meet. Yeah, you know, like, no, it's not like they're like, meet at the shore and we'll, you know, it's like, no, that doesn't right. make any sense at all. Um, and then on <clears throat> page 82, when they're talking about right of the fetish egg, mm-hmm. I thought it like it, it really bothered me that there's a part I'm looking to see if I can find it real quickly um, that they're talking about if something happens to the egg. Um, that the person that it was bound to, that um, if the binding breaks, it devastates the poor kid. Autism is the usual response. And I was like, I was like, what? Like, that's the only thing in this book that I really found offensive. Yeah. And I was like, not cool, guys. Yeah. No, not cool. To be fair ish like autism research and acceptance of neurodiversity has come a long way in 20 years but still not not cool well i just like there there were other ways they could have said that if they wanted to imply it but not like they didn't like sometimes sometimes less is more you don't need to say it like you could just say you know the the child is devastated and never fully recovers that could mean anything that has a bunch of plot Mm-hmm. Because you know what? Uh, someone who was supposed to be a Corax and their egg broke, you know, and so something isn't right in them anymore, that's a good bad guy. Yep. Oh, yeah. That's the same sort of thing you can do with the Dantain with Changeling. Like, mm-hmm. that, like, being a corrupted, like, thing, but because you've never been able to fully realize what you were supposed to become. Like You just know you're lacking something. Yep, like that, uh, you become a femori, it opens up for so many cool story ideas. Right, and instead yeah. they're ju- they just, you know. They dig a hole. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I that that really kind of, I was not okay with. Um, and on yeah. that page, they've got, uh, it looks like two black spiral dancers with an egg that's hatching. And the egg, the baby is a baby. It's a baby bird. Yeah. It's even got like a a little bit of a, a tooth on its beak. Yeah, that shell tooth thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and so I'm not, so now I'm thinking that my my puppet might work. You've got like visual evidence to suggest mm-hmm. that I it can will right here. Oh, I'm gonna get one of those Hatchimals so it can oh, like yeah. break out of the egg. <laughs> I am on board for this plot, like. <laughs> I will come down and NPC a Corax <laughs> just for this plot. <laughs> I am oh, there. No. <laughs> All right. So how many feathers out of 10 would you give this book, Carrie? You know, it's like I said, it's got some issues, mm-hmm. but, uh, Especially reading it with the, you know, 20-year glasses on. You know, like, you know, like, okay, this was written, you know. Um, I'd probably give it a seven. Okay. That is higher than I anticipated. 
Um, I would give this a six feathers out of ten. And I almost want to drop it to five just for this thing at the very, very beginning of the book, which I didn't mention until just now. Uh Uh-oh. White Wolf was originally intending to do all of the tribe books as 72-page smaller books, like the new Weisha book. Mm -hmm. And then people, like... Players, fans, readers were like, hey, we would really like it if you went to the bigger books for all the rest of these Changing Breed books because it it allows us to get more information on these people. We want to know more about them, which I think was great. The thing that bothers me is the happy now question at the end of the <laughs> sidebar. And I'm like, if you didn't want to do it, White Wolf, you didn't have to do yeah, it. We were still going to buy the book. Yeah, one way or another, we would have been fine with it. We would have gotten over it. Like It just seemed right. like a weird kick at it people. It doesn't feel like they put any more information in. They just no. fluffed it. Yeah. At least in this one. I think they do better with the Garal and with the Naga and some of those. But this <laughs> first one, you're right, it's fluffier. But it's not yeah. actually more information. Absolutely. Mm. Okay. Well, until we finally get an answer to when will you rage, we'll talk to you again next time. Bye. The music provided in this episode is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech Music. You can find his work by Googling Incompetech or Kevin McLeod. Thank you for listening to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. You can become a patron of Werewolf the Podcast via High Level Games at our Patreon at High Level Games. You can learn more about High Level Games at highlevelgames.ca or by Googling us. Thank you for listening.